So we, we've been working through a, a series uh, in, in the Psalms, looking at, we called it Life as a Roller Coaster. We're looking at different emotions that you see the Psalms help you navigate through, from the highs to the lows, through each of the challenges you face in life. And uh, today we're going to be specifically looking at the subject of loneliness. Um, and so in a minute we'll turn there, but just let me start by telling you a story. There was a guy, um, was, there was a, a group of guys, friends, and they were, their, their ship sank out at sea. And they managed to get climb aboard a life raft and they were bobbing along in the ocean for, uh, for many weeks. And they were you know, desperate, missing friends, family, all their food supplies and rations had run out. And they were absolutely desperate. So in, anyway, along came bobbing along. This isn't in the Bible, by the way, okay? Uh, along came bobbing along in the ocean, this bottle with, a, with a, a cork in it. And they pulled the cork out of the bottle and boom, out popped this genie. As I said, this isn't in the Bible, okay? Just to be really clear on that. <laughs> Don't Facebook that, please. Um, and then the genie pops out and, and, and said, I'm going to give you each a, a wish. And so the first guy said, oh, you know, I really wish I was back with my friends and family. I'm so lonely. And he said, okay, ding, and he disappeared back to the friends and family. And the second guy said, yeah, you know, I want that as well. I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to be alone. I want to be with my friends and family. And I Bing, he just disappeared and went back to his friends and family. And then the third guy says, I'm so lonely. I miss my mates. And ping, there they reappear. Loneliness. I mean, it's, it's, loneliness is crippling. Each of us have experienced that to different degrees. Maybe you're currently facing that. For some of you, it's a deep ache in your soul. What does the Bible say about it? Before we turn to the Bible, here's some statistics about right on the doorstep here in Edinburgh. Uh, according to the BBC website, it carried out a study, and it was a loneliness study, and it found that Edinburgh was at the top of its loneliness study in the whole of the UK. They discovered that 33% of people living in Edinburgh were less likely to be involved in the local community or feel part of it, according to their study. Edinburgh also published, in the, this is an article in The Telegraph, Edinburgh is ranked second in the top 10 singleton locations in the UK. In central Edinburgh, 41% of households are occupied only by one tenant. Incredible. And many of you are, uh, you're in that statistic. And then according to the Scotsman, pensioners in Edinburgh disclose that on average they spend less than one hour a day socializing, making them the loneliest in the UK. So loneliness is a huge issue on our doorstep. And I believe as a church, we have an answer to that in God. So let's turn with me to uh, Psalm 142. It's Psalm of David. He was a great king in the Old Testament. And, uh, and it was written at a time when he was at a place of incredible loneliness. So Psalm 142. Uh, let's turn there just now. So a mascal of David, it says, while he was in a cave, a prayer. I cry aloud to God, to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In my path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hands. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. They set, set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. 
So let's just, that's, the, that's the psalm. Let's just go bit by bit through it. And I, and I think as we unpack this, some of it will empathize with where you've been at, but some of it will bring you answers to where God wants to bring you to. It starts and says, a mascal of David when he was in a cave, a prayer. David's, uh, if you know the journey of David's life, you can go back to 1 Samuel and read how he journeyed from, this, from obscurity into becoming the king, but it was a rough journey. And at one point in his life, he was being pursued by the then king, Saul, who was pursuing him for his life. And as, they, um, as he was on the run for his life, on two occasions, he hid in caves. So one of them was in 1 Samuel 22 when he was hiding in the cave of Adullam. And then the other one was in the cave of Engedi in 1 Samuel 24. And now David, the, the crazy thing is, David had been a loyal subject of Saul. He had served and honored Saul. He was the military commander of Saul's army. He had done so many great things to Saul and for Saul. He had always honored Saul, and yet Saul was wanting to kill him. He was hunting him like an animal, hunting him down, and he was hated by Saul and his men. And David experienced incredible loneliness. Now, there's a difference, and you know this, between being alone and being lonely, you, sometimes being alone can actually be an incredibly positive thing. Being alone, uh, solitudes can be a time for reflection, can be a time where it refreshes your soul, uh, restores your strength, you feel peace, you become actually, sometimes your cr- most creative ideas come out of place of solitude. Jesus often exp- went away into solitary places so he could pray. For me, the best hour of my day is at six o'clock in the morning when I set my alarm, I wake up, and Angie and the kids aren't awake. I head down to the river just beside my house and I just go for a walk and I just pray. And it's a time of solitude and just a time where I connect with God. And I, and I find for me, that is my best hour of the day, ready to face anything that comes my way. And so solitude is, can be a positive thing. However, loneliness can be very painful. Loneliness has nothing to do with whether you're alone or in a crowd. You can be alone and lonely or you can be in a crowd and lonely. In fact, sometimes people who are lonely experience loneliness in an even greater dose when they're in a crowd. Because it kind of seems like, well, they've all got this connection, but I feel so out of it. And it almost amplifies or magnifies your loneliness. And that's painful. Albert Einstein said this, it is strange to be so universally known and yet so personally Lonely is a celebrity. It's Albert Einstein, well-known mathematician, famous around the world, and yet he experienced deep loneliness. David goes on in this psalm, and in verse one, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. And he, here he does, he turns to God, and God hears. And I would encourage you, if you are lonely, Turn to God in that loneliness. I don't know if you've ever been on a train uh, going through a tunnel and you're on the phone to someone and before, you're, before you go into the tunnel, everything's fine. You go through the tunnel and then you lose signal. All of a sudden, it just, the signal just drops, right? You've had that. Who's had that? Okay, and it's, it's like the, the, somehow or another, the reception doesn't get to you in that tunnel. Well, well, I've got good news for you. It doesn't matter how deep a cave you're in. It doesn't matter how many tons of rock there are around you or surrounding you or how distant you feel. The great news is this, reception with God is never cut off. Here David's in a deep cave and also in a place of deep loneliness. And in that moment, he was able to turn to God. And sometimes when you feel like he's least there, that's when he's most there. God is powerful and he hears your prayer no matter where you are. 
In fact, remember when the, that episode when the Chilean miners found themselves uh, stranded, my, uh, you know, huge distance undergrounds, and they were isolated, cut off from the world, and alone. Uh, there was 33 of them. But when the, the message came up that they were alive, one of the things they said was this. There are actually 34 of us down here because God has never left us in this mine. And David experienced that, and you can experience that in your place of loneliness. Verse three, it says, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. See what it says, when my spirit grows faint within me. You know, loneliness can be crippling. If you have experienced that where it actually, you can feel physically faint, right? You know what it is to feel physically faint. But have you ever had it, you feel almost like on the inside you feel faint. Your, your spirit feels faint within you. I know that feeling. Some of you know that feeling. It's, it's, it's when that piece of news comes or when that thing happens. It's like, oh boy, wow. You feel like you can't keep going on the inside. It's crippling. It's, your spirit feels faint within you. And, and here it says, it's when your spirit feels faint within you, it is you who watch over my way. In that moment of intense loneliness where you feel like you, in the inside you haven't got what it takes to keep going, God watches over your way. Apparently when they were the North American Indians, uh, when they were preparing children to become adults, what would happen is the children would go through all this training, they would learn how to hunt and fish and make fire and survive uh, in, in the wilds, and the last test happened on the, the night of the 13th birthday, because on the night of the 13th birthday, each of the children would be taken blindfolded uh, by themselves into a, a distant woodland area that they weren't familiar with, and the, in the middle of the night, the blindfold would be taken off, they'd be in the middle of nowhere, and they would be abandoned, and they had to survive the night with their basic weapons, survive that forest through the night. And they would be standing there in the pitch blackness, unable to see a thing. Every twig that snapped, they'd be thinking it's a wild animal. Every little rustle or every little bit of movement, they would be completely on edge. But as they survived the night and as the light started to dawn and, and the, in the gloom, they could start to make out trees and, and bushes and it started to get lighter. There, as they noticed, the silhouette was there. And there, right there, there was a man with a bow drawn, only feet away from them. And he'd been there all night and it was, it was his dad. It was, the son, it was the child's dad. Had been actually there a short distance away all night long. And that's, that's exactly what it's like with God. You're in this moment where you think you're all by yourself. And the great news is this, that when your heart feels faint within you, God watches over your way. He's only a short distance away. He's very close. He's got your back covered. And that's our God. And that's what God is like. Yeah, I felt this. You know, you felt this. I, I, I remember, especially growing up, I remember moments of, you know, some, your best friend moves away and you feel, man. Or, or having dreams where you feel abandoned in your dreams and you wake up feeling deeply lonely and then you realize, phew, it's only a dream. But some of you have gone through deep loneliness. Some of you experienced the pain of divorce. And it's not just that you are now physically alone. It's, it feels like your soul has been ripped out of you. And because you, you weren't just two people, you were one. And now you've become two. And that's painful. It's almost as painful as bereavement. Some of you have experienced bereavement. And where, where you feel, maybe some of you have lost all your remaining family. And you are left literally alone. And you feel the deep loneliness. Some of you experienced growing up the, 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 the loneliness of a, a parent abandoning you, where you, your parent, who should have known better, 
has stepped out of your life and you feel deeply alone. Others of you are, are single. And for you, it's a painful singleness. You're not content in that situation. You don't want to be in that situation. You're single and you feel this deep aloneness and, uh, and you're lonely and you don't want to admit that, but you are and it's painful. Some of you, you're in this country and you're, and you're battling to, to have right to remain. And, and I know some of you, it has been no problem being here, but for others of you, all your security, all your family are somewhere else and you feel like you're fighting against the current to try and even just be here. And that's incredibly hard and you feel alone. You know, there's a, there's a poem, some of you have seen it, it's been put into frames and I think it's worth reading because it links completely with what I'm sharing on from the psalm. It's the footprints in the sand poem and it, and it reads as follows. One night I dreamt a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my lords, across the dark sky flashes scenes from my life. From, for each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sands, one belonging to me and one belonging to my Lord. After the last scene of my life had flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sands and I noticed that many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest points, there were only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said that when I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest, most troublesome times of life, there were only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. Why, when I needed you most, did you leave me? And he whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never, ever, during your trials and testings, did I leave you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was I that carried you then. It says in Psalm 46, verse 1, in fact, you can read this with me. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Say it again. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. It's, it's, it's almost like when trouble hits, he's not just present. You notice the emphasis, it says he's, say it with me, ever-present. He's, he's totally there. He's so there. And so what the point is this, when you feel he's so not there, that's when he so is there. Because actually, the great news is this, your emotions have zip all to do with truth. Did you know that? Some say, praise the Lord, <laughs> okay? I mean, seriously, if, if your emotions reflected truth, we'd all be in trouble, right? You look at your emotions, they're all over the place, mine too. Uh, you know, good news is, even when you feel like he's not there, great news is that he is ever present. He's so there. He's closer than you ever imagine. He's so there. And that's good news. You know, my mother-in-law uh, lost her husband. My father-in-law passed away but maybe about a year and a half ago. And one of the things that so impacted her has been the presence of God in her life. The very presence and closeness of God. She, 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 no, she didn't often talk about God much. But since her losing her husband. She's often talked, she's described the closeness of God almost like him, you know, brushing past her. And he says she, she'll turn to a Bible or turn up at a church service and the hymn they're singing or, or someone will send her a letter and it's just almost the exact thing she needs to hear each moment and she just knows that's God in my moment of deep loneliness letting me know that he's not just present, he's ever present help in trouble. Verse four says, 
Look and see. There is no one at my right hands. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I mean, what a, a deep, dark situation to be in where you feel deeply alone. No one cares for me. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge, he says. Where do you turn in loneliness? Where do you turn for refuge in a moment of loneliness? Some people, you can either turn to God's or some people turn to destructive things, destructive habits, destructive areas, destructive lifestyles. Some people in loneliness end up turning to alcohol. So to, to, to almost to bury their loneliness. And it might have even started by them hanging out at the pub to, just to be around people and that community. But then they suddenly realize that alcohol itself has become a, an addictive thing. And it becomes this thing that almost drowns or tries to cover up this loneliness that you feel in your soul. So some people end up hooked on alcohol or drugs. For some people, you know, in marriage, even in marriage, they're, although they're technically married, they feel lonely in that marriage. And the situation is that you feel lonely in that marriage. You feel your partner's completely disinterested in you. So some people end up going to destructive places. So you have people end up looking at pornography or end up even on sex chat lines or involved in prostitution or going to strip clubs just to find, because they perceive that those people are interested in them. And they end up, in their loneliness, they end up in dark, dangerous places. Some people immerse themselves in social media. That, you know, the... the, the Social media is, is morally neutral, but you immerse yourself in social media to the point where it's unhealthy. Just out of your loneliness, you become constantly affected by social media. Almost to the point where if someone likes you or unlikes you or friends you or unfriends you or doesn't comment on your post or stops following you, or you're, it devastates you. It's emotionally, it impacts you so greatly. And you suddenly realize, whoa, maybe I'm, maybe I'm finding more security in this area than I should for some of you, you know what? Relationships become an idol because of your loneliness. It, you, you turn in an unhealthy way to become obsessed with relationships. And here's here's a, a quote I came across in a book called Overcoming Loneliness, written by three psychologists, Carter, Meyer, and Minrith. And this is what they say about this in their book. People who have, a constant bouts, who have constant bouts of loneliness will often fall into overly dependent style of life. An overly dependent person becomes excessively distraught if he or, or she is rejected by someone. He clings to people, sucking up all their emotional energy. They expect others to fill their needs for them. They begin to make demands of those on whom they are dependent. Naturally, this causes others to retreat from them, keeping them at a distance. The dependent person finds himself back at square one and usually continues the cycle endlessly. So it's almost like because relationships have become this huge need in your life, you cling on and you draw the life out of all those relationships and as a result, people hold you at a distance and actually that only amplifies your feeling of loneliness. For some of you, you're lonely and you, you turn your place of refuge becomes your workplace that you, 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 you can't bear going back to an empty house by yourself. So what you do is you, just, you work every hour God sends and you work in crazy hours and living an unbalanced life, but it leads to imbalance and stress. David here says, no one is concerned for me. No one cares for my life. That's a, that's a very dark place he's in. Now, I don't know if that was a reality. I don't know if there, if there was people who cared for him, but he just, he just wasn't aware of them or in that moment he didn't feel like it. 
But here's the truth. When you're in those moments, all those feelings, all those thoughts become amplified in your life. Those feelings of loneliness, those feelings of pain and people not being interested, shout loud in your head. And that is incredibly painful. Apparently, Abraham Lincoln, when he was assassinated, um, they, they rummaged through his pockets and found in his pockets only a few belongings. One of them was a handkerchief with his name embroidered on it. One of them was a little pen knife he had since he was a kid. One of them was a spectacles case repaired with a piece of string. And in his wallet, he had $5. But then there was also an, a, a real item of interest. It was an old worn-out newspaper article which was folded up and in his pocket and apparently he carried it everywhere with him. And the article was written by a British statesman, John Bright, and, it, and this article was him talking about how he admired Abraham Lincoln. And he said this, Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men of all times. That was on this article and he kept that in his pocket. And I think the reason he kept that in his pocket was because at the time of his assassination, even though he was appreciated by many, he didn't feel that. Because millions of people in his own country were complaining about Abraham Lincoln's leadership, which left him in a place of deep loneliness. So he clang on to that article where someone spoke well of him. You know, uh, we're going to skip verse 5 for a moment. We're going to come back to that because that has its answer first. But we're going to now turn to verse 6. It says, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. More in number, better arms. David, as he was being pursued by Saul, Saul had all his military regalia with him. All his military strength, all the right weapons. David and his small band of men were just doing everything they could to survive. And David, he, he felt it. And, and I actually think David, along with other leaders of all generations, experienced loneliness. Leaders are often deeply lonely people. I, sometimes I feel like the loneliness of being a leader. Because sometimes you're pushing ahead despite what people are saying. And it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard. You know, sometimes, you know, you have a, maybe you felt there's lots of leaders in this room, lots of team leaders, or small group leaders. You ever felt like the world's against you? <laughs> you know, I've felt that. You know, even with recent, you know, social media stuff going down, man, it feels like the world's against you. And it's been hard. In fact, what was really encouraging, uh, a few weeks ago we hosted in, in the building here uh, the Alpha Scotland event where they, where they launched uh, their, their national, or in fact, their, their new film series, which are absolutely exceptional, by the way, and they'll be showing in, in autumn this year as they launch. Bear Grylls will be fronting that campaign. But, you know, what, what struck me there, I was, I was down the front here for that event, and I was sitting beside one of the guys who, who kind of co-hosted that film. And he turned to me in the middle of the event when there was a short break, people were chatting. He turned to me and said, God's given me a picture for you. And he prophesied to me, and it brought such encouragement to me. When I was feeling that pressure of being out alone by myself. This incredible prophecy, which I had to write down because it was like Abraham Lincoln. I had this thing. I thought, well, okay, God, thank you. There's someone's for me. And it was the word from God. And then I had my friends, pastor at King's Church, uh, New Frontiers pastor there, Matthew Clifton Brown. I've known him for years. We both started our churches roughly at the same time, way back 17, 18 years ago. And he came up at that same event and he prophesied to me. He said, Peter, I know you're facing many pressures, but here's what God says to you. And he brought this incredible word, prophetic word of encouragement, just the right word at the right time. And God is this way, even if you're leading and you feel out there by yourself, of encouraging you and lifting you when you're feeling it most. Thank God. Verse six, uh, sorry, verse five. It says, 
I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the lands of the living. He's, he's now finding God as his answer. He says, you are my portion in the land of the living. You know, here's, here's the question. Why is it that God becomes our refuge? Why is it God is the one who is the answer to our loneliness? And the answer comes to answer that question, we've got to answer the bigger question. Why is it we are so affected by loneliness? And the answer to that is that we are wired for relationship. Say wired for relationship. Let's, let me just take you right back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. It says there, God said, God speaking, he creates him creating the whole world and he comes to us and he said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Notice that God introduces himself in the plural. He says, God says, let us make mankind in our image. God introduces himself in the plural. God is in himself in relationship. God always has been in relationship. We, we believe that this, this verse is the beginning of this unfolding revelation of who God is. We see as we go through the Old Testament, as we go into the New Testament, that God is revealed as a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternally three, yet one. It's not three gods. One God in three persons. This is a mystery. This is incredible. Don't try and simplify it. Just live with the complexity because that's God's self-disclosure of himself. You try and simplify it, you'll end up starting a cult. You don't want to do that, okay? Just, just live with the tension. He's, he's one God, one being, one God in three persons. And that's amazing. And what that tells me is this, that God has eternally existed in relationship. That he's always had within himself relationship. Jesus said in John 17, 24, you loved me, talking to the Father, you loved me before the creation of the worlds. But before anything was, there was love within the Trinity. That, that's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. C.S. Lewis made a point. C.S. Lewis said that if God was a single person before the world was made, then he was not love. Because you know that to love, you have to have someone to love. You can't love alone. And what we find all of a sudden when we understand this, it's a life-giving truth that God has eternally existed in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that within himself, he's experienced this perfect union and relationship for all eternity past and for all eternity forward. That's God. He always has been, always will be, and that's God. And that means he's sufficient within himself. That means he wasn't lonely. And you see, God didn't have to create us in order to have companionship. He experienced companionship. He wasn't a needy God. He experienced love. So only in Christianity did love precede life. In every other religion, life preceded love. God had to create beings in order to experience love. But in Christianity, where God has eternally existed in relationship, love preceded life. And that's a really important truth. And so this is the God we worship. This is the God we love. This is the God we serve. And the truth, the question I guess we're asking is, if God is in perfect relationship, completely satisfied within himself from eternity past, then why did he create? 
He didn't do it because he had a need. He didn't do it because he, need, he was somehow deficient within himself. He was completely satisfied, completely fulfilled. And therefore, the only reason I can conclude that God created us was that he created us so that we could share in that incredible relationship and share in that love that he had within himself. That's incredible. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us so that we could share in that love. It's incredible. And therefore, with that in mind, we come to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. God says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So why is it not good for man to be alone? Well, it's interesting. Up until that point, everything had been good. God said he created the light and it was good. He created the plant life and the animal life and it was good. And he created and he created and he created and it was good and it was good and it was good. But all of a sudden for the first time in the book of Genesis we have a it is not good for the first time. And it's, it, what, 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 what do you mean it's not good? This is paradise after all. Did it, does it mean that it was not perfect? No, no. It just means it was not complete. In paradise God created us not to be islands or independent but he created us so that we could know fellowship and union and we've been created in the image of God who is in himself a community of persons and therefore we have within ourselves this need this God-given need to be relational society says to you that being me is how you will succeed be an independent person be self-sufficient need no one Society will tell you that's how you're, you know, this kind of, this amazing, untouchable, independent person. You're so self-sufficient. That's what society would say is success. But according to the Bible, that's not the case. You see, God's not a me, God's a we. And we've been created in the image of a we. And therefore, you will only be complete and you will only be satisfied and only fulfill your humanity, not as a me, but you will be complete as a we. You need other people. And God's wired you that way. God's created it that way. But what happened right back at the beginning is that sin came and destroyed relationship. And it always does. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, Genesis 3 verse 7 and 8, after they sinned, after they rebelled against God, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is Adam and Eve. And then when they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Say, walking in the garden. In the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Isn't it interesting that straight after sin coming into the world, all of a sudden this separation happened between them and God. This perfect relationship was now no longer there. Notice that loneliness at its root is spiritual it's not physical or emotional it's spiritual at the root of loneliness is this separation from God and having been separated from God it wasn't long after Genesis chapter 3 that the first murder occurred you see you're first separated from God and then all of a sudden that cascades and it has an implication on your relationship with other people it happens all the time and so it should also be the case that when you're reconciled to God, the knock-on effect of that should be you start to restore relationships around you on the horizontal plane. And it's interesting, it says that the Lord, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. Now, in Hebrew, um, in the Hebrew language, 
the word walking was often used as a metaphor for friendship or relationship. For example, it says in the Old Testament that Enoch walked with God. talks about how he was in friendship with God. Or how David walked with God. This was always a clear analogy in the Hebrew language describing relationship. And what does it say to you that after Adam and Eve had sinned, after they had turned against God, the Bible says they heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden. What does that mean? It means this, that even though we had sinned, God was still seeking relationship. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news we believe. That even though you're a sinner, even though we've separated ourselves from God, even though we've walked away from God, God still pursues us for relationship. God has never abandoned the world he created. God has never abandoned humankind. He has committed and given himself to relationship with us. That's why Jesus came. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born. I could argue probably that he was the loneliest person on planet Earth. He was the loneliest person on planet Earth. Even at his birth, a king wanted to kill him and he was a refugee from his birth, running for his life into Egypt. As he grew up, he lost his father, Joseph, and he experienced the incredible pain of that bereavement. In his adult ministry, he experienced criticisms from the political leaders and criticisms from the religious leaders of his day. And the isolation that that brought is incredible. He was betrayed by a close friend. And at the point when he was being executed, his close friends abandoned him. And even on that cross, as he was hanging between heaven and earth, in that moment, he experienced ultimate abandonment and loneliness as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That this eternal union, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that existed for eternity past, for a moment, he experienced God-forsakenness as the sin of the world was placed on the Son of God. The Father and the Son had this experience of separation, which was the most painful anguish you could ever imagine. And the reason Jesus experienced the loneliness was so that you and I could experience reconciliation. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is resurrected, he's alive now, and he welcomes you back to God, back to this relationship. You see, Adam sinned in a garden, but Jesus bled for our sin in a garden as he sweat blood. Adam sinned at a tree, but Jesus atoned for our sin on a tree as he was crucified. Adam was naked and felt shame, but Jesus was naked and bore our shame. Adam was brought us thorns and thistles, but Jesus wore a crown of thorns for our redemption. Adam brought us condemnation. Jesus brings us salvation. And today, you might be far from God. You might have been disconnected from God. And the, everyone has. And the truth is this, Jesus Christ died because he loves you and he welcomes you back into fellowship and relationship with God. Don't live another day without him. He loves you. The resurrected Jesus is here. He's here by his spirit and he wants to transform your life. Now, the big truth in David's life is this. God can use loneliness to deal with ultimate loneliness in your life. If you look at David's life, the David who's writing this psalm, if you go right back to how he began, he began up in the hills of Bethlehem looking after sheep. And you read around those verses, you suddenly realize that to be honest, his dad wasn't that interested in him. He was abandoned up in the hills looking after sheep. And then you realize actually as you read the verses that his brothers weren't that interested in him either. 
that David was literally lonely. And, it, and he was abandoned on a hillside looking after sheep. And there was wild animals. On two occasions, the Bible records that he had to fight a lion and a bear just looking after these sheep. What kind of dad would let their kid look after sheep on a hillside knowing full well there's wild animals up there? That's abusive. And yet David experienced that incredible loneliness and abandonment from his family and those closest to him. But it was loneliness that helped him deal with his ultimate loneliness. It was, when, it was only when he was up there that he developed a closeness with God that solved his ultimate loneliness, estrangement from God. It was up there that he developed this relationship with God, this connection with God that was so special and so strong. David knew God. Just a week or so ago, I was chatting to my friend from Ayrshire, uh, Andrew, and he was telling me that, uh, that he had, before he became a Christian, he would describe himself as a, a lonely heretic. And he was so far from God. And he became a Christian by reading Robinson Crusoe. Anyone read Robinson Crusoe? Okay, in Robinson Crusoe, there's a moment where Robinson Crusoe's this, this, this guy, he's abandoned, he's shipwrecked, and he's abandoned all alone on an island. All he had was the ship's log and a Bible. And, and this, this moment in Robinson Crusoe, and Andrew read this moment, and this is what brought him to faith. And let me read it to you. It says, one morning, this is Robinson Crusoe speaking. One morning, being very sad, I opened the Bible upon these words, I will never leave you or forsake you. Immediately it occurred to me that these words were to me. Just at that moment, as I was mourning over my condition, as one forsaken by God and man, well then, I said, if God does not forsake me, what matters it, though the world should forsake me? And from this moment, I began to conclude in my mind that it was possible for me to be more happy in forsaken solitude than it probably ever could have been in any other state in this world. And with this thought, I was going to give thanks to God for bringing me to this place. And Andrew suddenly realized, my friend Andrew from Ayrshire, reading that, suddenly realized, do you know what? It wasn't God who left me. I walked away from God. And that was the moment that caused him to turn his face back to God and start this amazing walk with God again. The, the promise is, I will never leave you or forsake you. God promises that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Miracle, said this. The presence of God is the most real thing we ever encounter. And many of you have experienced that. I know times in prayer where maybe I've been facing challenges or maybe facing a sense of loneliness. In prayer, I've experienced the presence of God so tangibly and the whisper of God into my soul so clearly that I was so impacted by that more than I would have been if someone had physically walked into the room and given me a hug almost in an even more tangible way than that, the presence of God has become, as for me, the source of my ultimate joy and satisfaction. That sometimes loneliness is the area in which you find all of a sudden the answer to your ultimate loneliness. You find God to be your answer. Verse seven, the psalm ends in verse seven, it says, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. The righteous will gather around me. He'll have community. It's interesting, in 2012, the Times newspaper organized research into loneliness in the UK. And, and they asked these questions. Listen, they asked, have you ever felt depressed because you felt alone? 42% of people in the UK said yes. 
And then they went on to ask, thinking about your experience of depression and anxiety and loneliness, did it result in you isolating yourself from friends and family? 57% of people said yes. And that's the crazy thing. When we feel that aloneness, that loneliness, what do we do? Instead of going to community, we often isolate ourselves even further from community. And the cycle becomes even stronger in our lives. But what we find in the Bible is that here David, in this moment of deep aloneness, actually he became a source of community for others. Carl Menninger, the psychiatrist, said this. He was asked what what a lonely and unhappy person should do. He said this. Lock the door behind you. Go across the street. Find someone who is hurting and help them. And this is exactly what David does. In this moment when he's in the cave of Adullam, the Bible actually records in the Old Testament that hundreds of lonely, disconnected, and confused people gathered around David. I'm, I'm probably thinking that if I was in that really low state, they're not the kind of people you'd want around you. Oh, great. Thank you, Lord, for all these people who themselves are nuts and really messed up. Wow, this is a real blessing, Lord. Thank you. Okay, but isn't it interesting that David, in the, in the, se- in the season of his loneliness, became for them community? And and I really believe this, that actually maybe sometimes the best thing we can do when we are feeling alone is go find someone else who is in need and go show them the love of God. Uh, There's an amazing definition of friendship. And uh, let let me read it to you. We we talk about friendship and this, I think, for me, sums up what I believe about friendship. Friendship is not primarily something that happens to me, but rather it's something that I initiate for someone else. My friend is not the person who meets my needs. My friend is the person whose needs I meet. Therefore, I can never say I have no friends. When we say that, we betray the fact that we do not understand the nature of true friendship. You can have as many friends as you want. There is no end to the people who have needs to be met. So I want to encourage you, church. Even in your loneliness, this is a lonely city. Research shows that. Even in your loneliness, go bless someone else. Go lock the door behind you. And with God's help, find the ultimate satisfaction in God and then go meet someone else's need. I encourage you, church, we gather on Sundays. And you know what's encouraging across our three locations, soon to be four, is I see the figures every week and the number of people gathering on Sundays is increasing and increasing and increasing. And I'm so grateful to God for that. God is causing the church to grow. And if you're new to the church, so welcome. But listen, this, this gathering on a Sunday is only a small part of who we are as a church. Can I encourage you? Connect with a small group through the week. Small groups, we've currently got 35 small groups. In the next 12 months, we seek to see them grow to 53 small groups in the church. And so we're going to be starting new small groups. We're going to be creating small groups. Can I encourage you, over the next few weeks, find a small group, plug into a small group, What small group is community. Small groups where eyeball to eyeball, you get to know people. You're not just in a crowd of people, but go find a small group that you can join, that you can be part of. Or start a small group, unless you're weird, right? But if you're not weird, start a small group, all right? Because we're looking for people who become small group leaders. If you're interested in starting a small group, talk to Graham at the front, one of our uh, senior leaders here. He, He coordinates small groups around the church. Or talk to your small group leader about that. We need new small groups to start. We're looking to start about 19 new small groups in this next 12-month period. But listen, in your small group, see when someone gets sick in your small group, don't think 
a small group leader will visit them in hospital. No, no, no. You go visit them in hospital. Don't, don't think it's someone else's job. You meet the needs. Or someone else, maybe, maybe someone's going through a hard time. And you think, oh, one of the pastoral team will deal with it. And do you know what? Maybe we will, and we'll do everything we can to do that. But maybe, maybe this is your opportunity to be like Jesus. Why would you want someone else to have the opportunity to be like Jesus when you've got the opportunity to have the highest honor and be like Jesus? You go visit that person. You go show them the love of God. And as we do this, and as we are not just experiencing community, but as we become community for others, God uses us to become an answer to a city, which is a lonely city. And ultimately, this city is lonely because it's disconnected from God. And then we can also help them to connect with God and to each other in community, this family called the body of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we say thank you to you that you who came into this world, you were rejected by the world you created. And you showed this incredible love for humankind. Lord Jesus, you experienced loneliness to a degree that probably none of us have ever experienced, that you experienced rejection by your close friends, abandonment, and then ultimately on the cross, you experienced a God-forsaken moment where that incredible union between you and the Father for one point in eternity, there was a separation experience, there was a forsakenness that was horrible and dark, but you did it for us. Jesus, you did it so that we who were separated could be reconciled, that we who were separated from God could be reconnected with God. God, I pray today, ultimate loneliness would be dealt with in the souls of my friends here, uh, here in person and also watching and listening online. I pray, God, that today we will find you to be the source of our friendship and the source of our comfort and the source, our refuge in life. In his presence, just take a moment to pray. Just each one of you, just pray back your own response. Some of you in his presence, make a decision that, you know, I'm going to connect with a small group. Make, it, make that decision and follow through in that decision. Some of you, maybe you've been so aware of your own loneliness that you've failed to recognize the needs of others around you. Maybe today, just take a moment, pray and make a decision. I'm going to, I'm going to look out for someone who's maybe going through what I've gone through and I'm going to show them the love of God. Maybe today you're in the place where, man, I'm disconnected from God. You know, I, I, I need to know God. I need to know this ultimate relationship with the God who created me. Why not today make that decision? Why not today reconnect with the God who created you? You were created to have a relationship with God. If you're not in relationship with God, you're not living the way God made you to live. It's not weird to be religious and follow God. It's weird not to know God. The most natural thing is you know, you the creation know the creator who made you. And God in his love has done everything possible to make that possible for you. So while everyone else is praying, if you're here today and you're saying, Peter, today I want to know God. I don't want to live another day without knowing God. Today I'm willing to turn my life over to God put my faith in Jesus who died for me and rose again then let me if that's you today and that's what your desire is let, let, let me help you just now make that connection with God and this is what we're going to do very simply I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I invite you to pray this prayer after me just under your breath this is your moment to reconnect with God 
pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for being willing to die on the cross for me so I could be forgiven and have a whole new life. Jesus, thank you that on the third day you rose again. You're alive right now. I believe you did all that so that I could be reconnected with God. And today, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I want to live my life with you and for you from now on. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer.